If you have your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 1, and Matt Hall's going to come read. He's going to begin reading in verse 26. So that's Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, for the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, and therefore, a child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, shall also conceive a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our current series is called When God Visits. So it's looking at some encounters that we find in the book of Luke. When God, when God visits certain people, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and today we're looking at Mary. And here's a dilemma that I sometimes have as I read scripture stories like this. When I read encounters like this, sometimes it's hard Sometimes it's easy for me to think, you know what, this is hard for me to relate to because these kinds of things that Matt just read about don't really happen to me. So I don't, when God visits in the Bible, there are like angelic encounters. And I don't have those. And when God visits in the Bible, it seems like often there, there are things that are miraculous. And maybe you think, yeah, it's miraculous then, but we live in Newark, Delaware in 2020. Not a lot of miracles that we're seeing these days. And so it immediately makes it seem like, is there a distance, as well as we know the story, is there some distance between what we're reading and actually what we could take from here and think about and chew on and put into practice in our life when we leave this place in a few minutes. Is there a distance? And, and don't get me wrong, we know, like I know I've felt God's presence at times. I know it. It's not make-believe. It's not coincidence. It's not like a, a warm, fuzzy feeling. I know there have been times where I've sensed God is present, and yet it doesn't always seem exactly like Mary and Gabriel's interaction. And I know, I know I've heard God's voice. I'm not saying audibly, 
But I know there have been times where he's speaking and he's directing and it's just clear what he wants me to do. I know there have been those times, but again, it seems very different. There seems like a natural distance, especially, especially characters in the Bible to me like Mary feel so unique. Like God really used them. She's like super spiritual and then there's me and maybe the rest of us. Uh, I have to say as I read, like Mary is super unique, Right? She is the only one who's the mother of the Messiah. And scripture will use language like, when the fullness of time came. This is like one point in time this is going to happen. So, so in ways, the, she is absolutely unique. And yet, and yet I have to remind myself when I hear stories in scripture, especially this Christmas story, I have to remind myself that Mary was a human just like we are. She actually is presented very, in a very ordinary way from Nazareth in Galilee, which wasn't like the, the hub of the empire that day. I have to remember that she was, comes into the story without a lot of extra markers in her life as if, well, this, one's, this person's really, really important. Actually, there's not any of that. But when God visited Mary... He showed up giving her grace and gave her mission with her life. I have to tell you, that is exactly how God comes to people today who feel very, very ordinary. Nothing extraordinary about our background. He, he comes with grace, undeserved favor, and he gives us mission, an assignment, that, a critical assignment that he wants us to give our lives to and so I'm finding in Mary, even as I've studied, like, even though there's differences in, in her interactions with Gabriel, I am finding there is a pattern that if I follow it, if I look at it, if I embed that deep into my heart, oh, there is a lot I can walk away from and not just learn and appreciate a story, but actually find some things to put into my life. Because when Mary is told some things like this, you are a favored one, you are favored by God. When Mary is told, the Lord is with you. When Mary is told, you're going to bear a son, you're going to call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be the son of the Most High. When Mary is told, your son, your son Mary, is going to rule on the throne of David, going to rule over my chosen people, my nation of Israel, your son is going to have a kingdom that's going to expand and expand and expand, and there's never going to be an end to the limits of your son's kingdom when Mary is told these powerful words, I find a pattern in the, way, in the way she responded to that. Listen to verse 38 again. And I'd love if you at least mentally, if not physically, found a way to underline verse 38 in Luke chapter 1. Because Luke 1, 38, Mary said, simple words here, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you hear in that? So much is packed into that response, and I think it can be a pattern. Even if, even if you don't meet Gabriel this coming week, even if that doesn't happen to you over the next three years, 30 years, even if that does not happen to you, there's still a pattern because Mary's heart has a starting point, and that's exactly what I want you to see. Her heart has a starting point, and that starting point is a place of being humble and responsive. Her heart has a starting point. Let it be to me according to your word. 
It's humble and it's responsive. And God uses people who ask this kind of question like, who am I? God uses people who ask the question like, who who tell the Lord whatever you want. Humble and responsive. That's the starting point of the heart. A humble heart. Her instinct was to feel very grateful and blessed and ask, how can this be happening? How can this be happening? You know people that are humble. I was talking to some friends this week in two separate occasions. I was talking with friends and both of them were going through their life and it's actually been a tough year for both of them as they thought about all that they've had to deal with. But they went through their life and they said, Curtis, I just, I feel like God has blessed me and I don't know why and I know I don't deserve it, but I've seen it again and again and again. It's that same spirit of Mary. It says, who am I? I, know, I don't deserve this. Who am I that you would show that kind of grace to me? And I know while God resists the proud, he gives grace and grace and grace to the humble. This is the starting point. This is like the starting point of where your heart should be with God is like, who am I? And then I love the responsiveness to God in her heart because she says, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you say, Lord. You know, it could be easy to think of Mary because we know the story and we go, well, yeah, she says that because she's told she's going to be the mother of Messiah and who wouldn't want that great privilege and who wouldn't want that great opportunity. But surely Mary had to be dialed into some of the complexities of what she's being told. And we know it was, would not be an easy road for her because we know even three decades later when Jesus is an adult and teaching, there are going to be people in the crowd that don't like Jesus and are going to say, we don't even know who your father is. If Jesus had to deal with that, surely Mary had to deal with whispers, with the shame, like what have, we're not so sure what's going on. So when Mary is saying, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you want, let it be to me according to your word, she's not opting for an easy route. She is not looking ahead and going, well, whatever problems I did have before, I don't anymore. All it is is easy all the rest of my life. It is not. She may not even fully anticipate that she's going to be at the foot of the cross watching her son be executed as a common criminal. But she opens her hands to the Lord and says, whatever you want. I love the responsiveness there. It seems like Mary quickly knew that the right response to the Lord is yes, as quick as you can get to there. Yes. What do you want, Lord? Yes. What do you want from me? Yes. The story of Mary is one of responsiveness, even though she couldn't anticipate all the hard stuff, all the complicated stuff, all the unclear stuff. And so I do have to ask, as you hear the story of Mary, as you listen to her responsiveness, is that your heart? We all bring some sort of heart into, into this place this morning. Is your heart one of humility? Who am I? And responsiveness, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you want. Is that your heart? Or maybe an even more pointed question is, was that your heart at one time? 
But maybe over time, because you've been disappointed, you've been hurt, you've been frustrated, maybe even hurt by church, maybe even hurt by Ogle Town, I don't, I don't know. There's been layers formed, like calluses formed, and you're not quite as sensitive. Whatever you felt, the intensity and the urgency you felt for your walk with the Lord, maybe at one point you would have said, whatever you say, Lord, but now it's like, I don't know that I'm going to say it quite like that. Seems better to go, you tell me, and then I'll make my decision, Lord. Or maybe the who am I has been replaced with a subtle sense of entitlement of like, you know, I'm not that bad, and I kind of I deserve some good things, don't we all? Me, me especially? I mean, do, has that begun to creep in? Maybe you can't pinpoint, but you hold up Mary as a, at least a pattern, and you go, yeah, I don't know that there's that level of sensitivity in my heart. I have to tell you, this week, as I've been reading and rereading this, it's like the Lord is bringing me back to a place again where I say, Lord, I really want to hear you speak. And so help me, Lord, even create avenues, prioritize the avenues. Even I was, I was so grateful for Evan's prayer, reminding us like our lives can get so cluttered and, and even cluttered with idols that the decluttering has to take place to where we realize there's some important things here. And one of those is that I hear from you, Lord. And when I hear from you, I want my heart to go, not now nah, maybe, or I don't really want to, but Lord, I want to say yes. If sin is a barrier between me and the Lord, I want to be more eager to like, let's get that barrier out so that I can have communion with the Lord so that that relationship would be, would be vibrant and, and intense rather than just something that's like really, really gotten hard over time. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to let my heart just get worn down. I, I don't want to be satisfied. I don't want to be satisfied with just going through the motions, showing up to a church service and humming along to a few songs and kind of tuning into a prayer and hearing some lesson from the pages of this book and then kind of going, ah, okay, what's, what's next? I just don't, I don't want to do that. And so I hear from the words of Mary, just helpful. It's a helpful starting point for my heart, like, who am I and whatever you want, Lord. What a, what a way to recalibrate some things today. The story with Mary moves on because what you find is that heart of responsiveness to the Lord actually comes out of her mouth. She has to like verbalize it, and I'm so glad that it's recorded what she did verbalize. Look at verse 46. So Matt didn't read that, but he, he certainly, the reading set us up to appreciate exactly where she goes now. Because verse 46 says, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Notice that word, magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We could, we're going to keep reading. We're going to keep going through all of Mary's words, which actually sound almost like a song, almost sound like a, a poem that she takes portions of the Old Testament and puts them together. But in Mary's words, I, I just can't get past those first words. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I've, I've been stuck this whole week on kind of one word here. And, and that kind of the theme that just keeps coming up again and again in my mind is that our lives are meant to have this kind of one word mission that Mary points us to. And if I could like 
summarize that one word mission, it would be magnify. Like that's what Mary says, my soul, my whole being magnifies the Lord. This kind of one clear ambition for her life. We know what magnify means. It means like you, you make something at least seem or may sometimes even make it appear bigger or larger. You, you take something and you increase its size or its strength or its power. You magnify it. Think of a telescope where like there is this planet or star a long way away and it looks like less than a dot from our eye, but then you take this with lenses, you actually magnify it. You make, you make it bigger. You can actually see it for what it is and you go, my goodness, this is, this is enormous. And then I also think like magnifying so there's that sense of it, but then there's another sense, another way we use this word magnify and kind of think of it. It's not just like microscopes and telescopes. It's also when we have an experience that we think is pretty amazing, we're glad to share and we want to magnify that. So you go to a restaurant and you have something that really, really stands out. And you're at least tempted to say, you have got to go to that restaurant. You've got to have this particular item. It's amazing. Or you're listening to music, you like a song and you like a group, something that you had not heard but you hear and you go, you have to hear this and you share the link and someone else can listen to that and, and you are magnifying that reach. You're in, it's an intensifier. You're heightening the awareness of this particular thing that you like. Maybe it's a hobby or maybe it's a, a decorating scheme or a design or, or maybe there's something, some video that you want to share. Or maybe it's an athlete or a team and you go, you got to see this. This was amazing. And what are you doing in that moment? You are magnifying something. You're saying, this was so great and you have to see it. You have to see this. I think that's what's going on in Mary's heart here. She's magnifying my soul, magnifies the Lord. I really do see that as how she is living her life and thinking about her life. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord in verse 46. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, which is such an important reminder that she knew she needed a Savior. She knew she wasn't the Savior. She knew her soul needed a Savior. Her life needed a Savior. She says, but personally, God, my soul is rejoicing. She says in verse 48 that he, God my Savior, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. I'm just a servant, but he cared. He, he like noticed me. He noticed you. And Mary has an awareness like how big is God and yet he noticed me. Notice how personal it is for her. For behold, from now on, even all generations are going to call me blessed. Not just this point in time, but even going forward. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me, I mean, we know what that is. We know what it's like when someone does something for us. We know what it's like when someone gets a gift and we didn't expect it and they gave it to us. We go, you didn't have to get that for me. Like, who am I? That you remembered, that you wrote that card, that you wrote that note, that you were thinking of me. What a gift to me. And Mary does this on the, on the scale of like, God, you made everything. You're so mighty. You can speak and things are created. You can speak another word and more things are created. And you who do mighty things, actually have done mighty things for me. Her words extend further. It's not just even like she's personally going, man, I must be one lucky gal because look at it all. It's not even that. It's that she's saying, I'm blessed by the Lord and 
This is just who he is for generation after generation after generation. His mercy, verse 50, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. This is nothing new for God to do. This is exactly what he has done and will do. He's done in my life. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he's sent away empty. He has helped his servant, Israel. I mean, think of it. Servants just do the will of another person, but yet here he has helped his servant, Israel. He did this in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. It's like, yeah, God made all these promises of mercy to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their children and the children's children, and he is the one showing Mercy, he's done this before with all of our ancestors. And so Mary says, here I am at this point in time, and he's still showing mercy. And actually, all the offspring, all the covenant people of God in the future, he's showing mercy to them. This is who God is. The greatest demonstration of that help we know, I mean, we're, we're reading Luke 1, but we know where Luke 22 and 23 and 24 go. We know the story of Jesus like the greatest form of mercy and help that God is going to give is through her son, Mary's son, Jesus. The greatest mercy he's going to show is when he's on the cross taking, taking our sin, sin that he didn't commit, that we committed, and yet saying, Father, forgive them. What kind of mercy do we see? We know what the ultimate picture of help is when he's rising from the dead conquering death and conquering Satan and conquering hell and conquering even the grave. He's, he's helping his people. And I don't know, I hear the words of Mary and I think, I don't even, I don't know that she could process all that she was saying, but oh my goodness, your son is going to help and your son is going to show mercy. Because of all that is in such view for Mary, because of all that, she says there's like one Mission for my life, you sum it up into one word, and that's magnify. That's what my life is meant to do. I can live in submission. I can align my plans, my dreams, my goals, my gifts, my talent. I can align all that under God as long as his name is great. That is what matters. I can, I can live in light of a much bigger story. I can live in the shadow of someone greater than I am because the one greater than I am, as long as his name is great, then that is worth giving my life to. So my question is, have you bought into that one word mission for your life? Have you? Do you see it that way? And before you answer quickly, I just have to tell you the story that the world tells is a very different kind of story than this. It's a story that goes, actually, like, why would you want to magnify someone else? The story that you're going to hear, the story that you're going to be coached on from a preschooler these days, is that this whole world is meant to magnify you. And we can even, like, co-opt God into that and say, you know, God's main purpose is to make sure you get magnified. But it's like Mary has all that all of the cultural narrative right now and reverses all that and says, no, no, the way I will find the most meaning for myself 
is to trade in my life to magnify the Lord, that he would be great. That is just so uncommon. We love the story that makes a lot of us. But I love this story of Mary, her life and identity wrapped up in Jesus. I mean, her son will say, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, then and only then are you going to find it. So I, I wonder if what the Lord is doing is helping us realize, helping us realize, like maybe pumping the brakes on our getting too carried away with going, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and everybody's going to see how great I am and I'm going to prove like an underdog to champion kind of story and I'm going, to, I'm going to make something of myself. I wonder if we get the brakes pumped on that and the Lord says, wait a minute, wait a minute, whatever identity you have, whatever gifts you have, and I, I hope there are tons of gifts, whatever skills you have, I hope you have tons of skills, whatever influence you have, I hope it's tons of influence. Will you use that to make God's name great? Will you do that? Will you do that with your life? And so the question might be, like, what is your one word? What is the one word mission of your life? I know at times if I would go back to my life, if I would, like, plot some points in my life, at times that word might be achievement. Like, the, the word might be if I can achieve something. Or maybe that word would be, like, prove. Like, I've got something to prove, and I'm going to prove everybody that I can do it. I know that would be the, the word written over my life at times. Or maybe, maybe sometimes the word is, like, family. And if I can just be a good family person, if I could just be a good, good dad, a good husband, a good uncle, a good brother, a good son, if I could just be, like, family matters to me. And because of that, like, if, if, I'm, just, if I'm just that, then everything else. Or, or maybe it's to be recognized. It's not so much I have to achieve, but like everybody needs to know I've accomplished. I, I don't know what is driving your ambition right now, but I would just plead, I'm begging you, don't settle for anything less than magnifying the Lord with your life. Because it, you might be tempted to think, you might be tempted to think, well, man, that just seems like I am insignificant, that I don't matter, that God doesn't care, and I'm just the pawn in this big plan. I'd say, no, no. No, no, you read Mary's story and you get a glimpse into something. I don't think Mary feels entirely insignificant in this whole thing. I think she just realizes whatever significance I have, it'll be totally attached to Jesus, the Savior of the world. So we have a mission, make God's name great. So moms and dads, like some of, some of you are, are just slugging it out, like trying to help your kids, trying to show them every single way that you love them, trying to help them process God and grace. I'd say God has given you a mission. You have a window of influence to make his name great in your home. I think of the person that maybe feeling a hundred limitations. And maybe a lot of those have been brought on by COVID and you feel like, well, I can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. I would tell you, God has a purpose for you. And what I want for you is to see that in the details of your life, you might be a teacher, you might be a caregiver, you might be just think, I, I'm just behind the scenes or I'm just preparing. I, like, I just want, I'm, I'm in the preparation stage and I'm, 
I don't know what God's going to do with my life, but I'm telling you, there is a mission that you can have. Like even in the smallest detail, the biggest plan, my life will magnify the Lord. Don't get weary. Don't despair. Keep that deep passion for him. Use your voice to celebrate and point people to him. I love Mary's starting point. Man, I hope that's my starting point. I hope that's your starting point, point of humility and responsiveness to the Lord. And I love her decision to magnify the Lord. But in the end, I'd say, isn't that exactly what our world needs anyway? And that is exactly what we need. I, I don't know I don't know each person in here. I, I don't know 100% of us equally well. I don't know. I, I, there may be those in this room. I don't even know your name. What I do know about you is that your life is valuable to God. And what I do know is that God has placed you in a set of relationships where your life matters. I can't help but think there is a niece. I can't help but think there's a grandchild, a grandparent, a friend, a coworker. I can't help but think God placed you right there in their lives. I can't help but think somewhere, someone in our world, in our group of relationships, their heart was broken. Maybe they're dealing with loss, miscarriage, a death in the family. Maybe they're asking some really tough questions. Maybe things have been taken away from them. And you know what they don't need? With those people in my world, with those people in your world, what they don't need, they don't need someone that is so self-absorbed, someone so self-centered, someone who's so selfish, don't have time for anything else but to make my own name great. That's exactly what they do not need. But what they do need is for us to move into their lives and as the Lord gives opportunity, extend grace and purpose and hope and use our life, whatever, whatever, life God has given us, use whatever influence God has given us, whatever skill, whatever relationships, whatever family, whatever authority, whatever power God's given us to use that to say in these relationships, in my life, in these moments, in these days, I will make his name great. I will spend my life for that. What the world needs is to see us as an instrument, not for ourselves to be lifted up, but for God to be magnified. What if God made us a family of believers who just lived so open-handedly to the Lord, we said, your name be great, your name be hallowed. That's what I want to pray for today. That's what I want to close our time asking God, like, make it happen, make it happen, Lord, make it so. Let me pray. Oh, Lord, it is easy to say these words and it is hard to make the 100,000 decisions that put it into practice. And our own selfishness and our own ego and our own pride gets in the way of these things. And yet, you are the one who can change our hearts. You are the one that can pull the scales down from our eyes so that we see truth. You are the one that can give us a heart to see in the end, it is not about my name being great, but it is about your name being great. You are the one. So I pray even as we sing in just a moment, 
that all of our hope, all of our life should be found in Christ alone. I pray that the aspiration of our heart there would actually be reality for our church. And I pray that those that encounter people from Ogletown this week, whether it be family members or friends or coworkers or neighbors, I pray they would see this one word mission for our lives that we want to magnify the Lord. Make it so, Lord. Make your name great. This world needs it and we need it as well. So help us take whatever next step you're pointing us to even right now. Lord, we ask all this for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.